Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I, I think my, my question was, what would my Zelda tabletop RPG look like? Uh, I, I didn't particularly agree with the design choices in this game, but what would my game look like? And I think it was easier to answer that question just th- through making the game as opposed to, to thinking about answering it uh, as, as uh, words, like it was easier to answer it as a game. The story of how Peter and Lucas found games and then found each other is wonderful. Design partnerships fascinate me. I spend time with Peter and Lucas diving into how they work together and how their ideas bounce back and forth between them and then somehow end up in a completed game. I finally get some insight from them on why Sweden produces so many gritty and dark RPGs. We have a pretty serious discussion around their Blood Feud game. It has unique and pretty heavy themes and understanding how it came to light might amaze you. We get into how they both have different goals with their newest game and how they found a path that satisfies both of them. Stick around until the end as I uncover their ability to find consensus and staying aligned on goals as a team. Is this their secret? This episode is reaching you at no charge because of the support and generosity of our Third Floor Wars patrons. I want to welcome some of the newest floor heads and supporters. Dev Dragon, Robert Valdez, Christian, Derek Waite, Greg Lauer, Prizemslaw Reba, James Nevitt, and Steve Maroney. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Peter and Lucas. Do you love to unplug and play games around the table? Greetings, friends and floorheads, to Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you love tabletop gaming, you are in the right place. Listen as Craig delivers in-depth discussions and interviews with game designers, creators, insiders, and experts. Learn from the people making and playing the role-playing, miniature, and board games you love. Howdy friends, Craig here. Today we're talking to Lucas Falk and Peter Malberg of Blickfisk Publishing, the makers of the Heroes of Sorelia RPG. Blickfisk Publishing is a Swedish collective of brainstormers, dreamers, and hard workers. They focus on developing tools for empathy, improvisation, and community, usually in the form of role-playing games. Now, Peter handles the administration and finances for Heroes and is one of the game's editors. He has a master's degree in business and economics and works part-time at a cultural center for adolescents. Peter is one of the authors behind Blood Feud, as well as the creator of Traffic Lights and the author of In Order. Orbit and the Swedish RPG Forn Saga. Peter, welcome to the third floor. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. 
So, Peter, um, we were talking in the green room beforehand uh, that you guys have some familiarity with my show, which I appreciate. And so, you know, the first question, right, which is at some point you knew nothing about this hobby. You didn't know you could grab a sheet of paper, roll some dice and become another person. And then it was put in front of you for the first time. So I'd like to go back there. Yeah, um, I've all be, uh, I think I've spent a lot of time playing video games and mostly computer games. And um, at some point, I played Neverwinter Nights, I think. Mm. Uh, and um, I was wondering, why does this combat take so long time? Why are they just standing there? And that's when I learned that there's a, a rule system behind this that it's based on, uh, which is Dungeons and Dragons. So, so can we do it in person and make it slower? <laughs> yeah, exactly my thought. No. <laughs> Not really, um, but uh, so that there, there was always this uh, urge to do stuff that you couldn't, uh, choices that I wanted to make that uh, weren't available, and also I have no patience for uh, reading long uh, dialogues, uh, and that game is full of it. So I, <laughs> when I learned that you can do this uh, at a table with your friends, um, I thought that that might be something that I like uh, because I'm also not very much a competitive person so mm. the collaborative aspects of it is also something that i i really enjoy um so we we tried out uh the swedish uh, old role-playing game Drakar och Demoner, which is now being uh, rebooted by freeligan um so um that's where i started um, no kidding yeah. and how old were you at this point oh good question um I think 15 or something like that. Oh, okay. So like in, in, in uh, uh, secondary school, but uh, before university. And yep. did you have, because you're, you're younger than me, I can tell by looking at you. Um, like where was the state of the hobby at that point, right? Were there a lot of people playing this? Was it kind of still underground and only the nerds did it in their basement and didn't tell their friends about it? Like what, what was the atmosphere uh, when, you, when you first sat down and played? I think the hobby was much more live than um, than I knew uh, uh -huh. because I only had my uh, close group of friends that we, we tried this. So we we found the game in the in the local um, um, game store, I think, or a computer store, perhaps, um, and we didn't really know who else was playing it. <laughs> um, so um, I, I can't really tell, but we all, I also grew up in a very small town, so mm -hmm. um, that might have something to do with it as well. So when you first brought this to the table, you're 15 years old, you and your friends are there. Nobody has done this before? No, not at all. So what was that process like of you trying to figure out really attempting a quote unquote game that really you had no template to work from? I... I would say that the process was very slow, and we we learned um, we learned by doing, um, mm -hmm. and that's why I, I think that's pretty common in role playing games. I mean, the whole tradition of you, you learn how to play by playing. Right. Um, so I guess we didn't really play it as it was written. Uh, I don't know if we played like others played, um, but uh, we found our way to do it, and. It wasn't very enjoyable, uh, <laughs> all in all. Uh, okay. As you said, combat took uh, 
we wanted we wanted these like huge fights and stuff that we we saw uh, in our minds and it it never came to the table they were yeah. with, um we there was um like a few small fights with a few goblins uh, or something like that and it took three hours yeah. um like how mm, we didn't get it to work um well, you, and, and I'm not as familiar with the Swedish game, though I've, you know, I've got some, I've done reading about it and that, that it has, has very similar um, wargaming DNA in it, right? That the simulationist attempt to, to, to make combat um, like miniature gaming in, in some ways, which is really where, you know, much of the hobby was born from, was from the, from that. It, um, and, and it does, it, it can make it very involved. And for some people, that's what they love, right? That's what they love about D&D and, and, and stuff. And, but for some of us who want to, you know, well, all right, let's do Helms Deep, right? And yeah. let's have it not take seven months, uh, to, you know, to work through. It can be, it can be a little bit different. So what was next for you then? Because, you know, obviously that was the beginning. Um, what was, what was, do you think was like the next big game that you came across that maybe really had a big impact on you? Uh, well, after this, um, after trying out this game for a couple of years, I think we, we actually gave up on it and I moved to another town uh, to study at the university. And um, I don't know how many years it was between, but then at some point I went to, on a trip, I went to Croatia, which has very much this like medieval landscapes. And uh, there was a flare that was lit once again, like, mm, what if I could get this to work? And, and so I, uh, uh, I went to my old, uh, my group of friends and, uh, uh, found the old books that we used and I started reading it and then I thought this still isn't good enough so <laughs> um, instead of doing the reasonable thing trying to find what else is out there because this was um, this was 2000 and um, this was 2014 yeah. so a lot a lot had happened there were many games out there that I would have maybe started uh, playing instead that I would have liked but instead of doing that, I started making my own game. Uh, and, and, and was that just because you didn't know any better? Or was that something that you'd always wanted to do? Because uh, that's a huge jump. I think it was both. Um, okay. Because you, you, I think all players have this at some point when they play their, their games and they find things that I, I don't like the way this works or mm, maybe if you could do that instead uh, like instead of rolling the damage in the as a separate uh, role you can maybe add it into another role uh, or to the first role uh, to hit or something like that um, so I think people get these ideas how to improve the game but what I did was to try to formulate it and make it into a thing uh, at once so i i perhaps should have read more games uh to see what was out there and not start inventing the wheel all over again yeah uh, because my first drafts uh were not particularly good <laughs> so well, so let's pretend that I break into your house and I find some of those early drafts, right? And I, and I start flipping through them and then I compare it to some of the games that you've made more recently. Um, what, what will I recognize? So even though you had no idea what you were doing then, 
there, I would imagine there's things I would see even in these awful early designs that have, that have become yours. And I would see even in your more recent designs. Hmm. That is a very good question. I, you get so blind by looking at the things that you do. Um, yeah. So um, I'm not sure what, what things are still there, but I've always had this uh, kind of love for the fantasy genre. Um, so I think that is something that I come back to uh, mm-hmm. once in a while. I want to play these old uh, like traditional games. But um, other than that, I mean, mechanically, how we play um, the dynamics at the table, I don't think there is much left of it at all, actually. So what, what was the greatest wheel you reinvented? Is there something that you put together and you're like, oh, this is so good. And then you go to free league site and buy something. And you're like, oh, shit, they did that 10 years ago. What, what's something that you designed on your own that turned out you'd seen elsewhere? Anything? Hmm. I can't actually come to think of anything. Uh-huh. Um, for, because there, there, there were so many things that I've tried to find solutions to that. Yeah. Um, so I, I can't really you know, come to think of one at the top of my mind. So maybe another way to think of this then is, is there solutions you've seen in other games that you were just like, oh, that's good. That's a problem. And I've known that was a problem. And I now read this game by this person or this company and go, oh, they 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 fixed it. What's a mechanic you've been excited by? Oh, okay. So uh, if I put it like this, um, when I, after I started making my own game and then I, after that, I started actually looking into other games. And then I, I, I saw these things that I've invented that was worse than the th- stuff that was already <laughs> out there. But one of the things that I've never that I never think I will return back from is the 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 player uh, the player facing roles that yeah. that the players are the only ones who roll uh, the GM don't doesn't um, that and like failing forward has also been a very strong uh, concept. Um, so I, I think that is the uh, it was Dungeon World. That I oh yeah uh, that really got me into thinking that oh it doesn't have to be like this it can be uh, something else. That's an adjustment, Peter, that I went through too because I you know being an old fart you know I came from the uh, the secret GM and behind the screen and you know he's rolling dice why is he rolling dice and no nobody knows what target numbers are and stuff like that and when I came back to the hobby and realized that that um, had been replaced by player facing roles and uh, one of the biggest things that um, changed my mind was uh, you know clocks from Apocalypse World and Blades in the Dark where you know like my instinct was let's hide it right so they don't know how many segments it is and don't know how far along they are but then i was like no i'm gonna try it their way and i put it out in front of them and realized oh that's where the tension's created right when they're when they see it all when they see the two hit rolls from the monster or when the monster doesn't even roll um it's amazing and and counterintuitive for uh for an old dude like me um so you start messing around you start making these games at one point, did you feel something was baked or something was ready and you wanted to take it beyond just your table? You wanted to take it beyond just, you know, you and your friends. When was the first time that you were like this? Someone else that I don't know yet might might like this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I maybe it was hubris, but I mean, <laughs> so I, you sit there and you you read all these other games that you do. You, you, 
you find so many flaws in yeah. uh, or this is not what I would have done and you, you don't even play the games you only read them so you don't re- actually know how it is adapted at the table which is kind of a flaw of mine because I, I don't play enough games I, I read many games but I don't play them um, so you have an idea of what things how things work but then at the table they might might not work uh, in that way that you've pictured so um, anyway I thought that um, I, I found some stuff that I wanted I tried to puzzle them together uh, into this game that is uh, my first game uh, which is uh, Fulm Saga um, so it's a kind of a Norse Viking inspired game uh, pretty traditional all in all uh, but with a lot of small like indie influences uh, that I uh, I wouldn't call it my fantasy heartbreaker but uh, okay. I, I it was my fantasy heartbreaker uh, for a while and then when I got these indie influences uh, and added them to it I think it became something else uh, that actually is worthy of calling a game um, but uh, yeah I think that was pro- it took me took me three years I think to uh, to get that together into a playable thing um, when you start making games you don't have like this whole community of other gamers or, or designers that you can talk to so there wasn't many uh, people who, who looked at it uh, and that is perhaps the biggest flaw you can make I think as a designer not having enough people look at it because yeah. you, as I said before, you get blind. You think this is this is the absolute best way to go, and then it's just because you haven't seen the other the other options. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because one thing I keep hearing as I have these discussions is you really can't play test it when you're at the table, right? When you're there influencing the perception, you're explaining things between the lines, right? That, the, that I've been hearing that it's critical to have a play test process and it doesn't have to be the entire process, but towards the end where you're, you are blind and it is given to another table and they, from just what is written, need to figure out what the hell is going on and play test and give feedback. And have you found that since that that type of play testing is valuable or do you think it's more valuable, you know, when you're there and participating in it? No, I think it's, uh, as you said, it, towards the end of the process, you need to have others look at it. At, at the beginning, I don't think it's that valuable because just getting something together is the focus there. Yeah. Uh, but what we've found with our games in the, in the company uh, is that people don't read uh, the rules as closely <laughs> as you ex- expect them to, no matter how how tiny a game it is. Uh, they miss things. And yep. so, so it's very interesting to see what they actually get and what pieces are taken for granted and... Um, that they just skip. They they think, yeah. oh, it's it's that thing. I know how that works, and then they move on. Um, but I think as you create more of these indie or storytelling games or whatever you want to call them, um, uh, the the rules light GMless games that I'm pivoting towards now, mm-hmm. um, they are very they are so different uh, in the dynamics how they work. So. People, I think, tend to read them more closely than traditional games. I traditional agree. games, um, yeah, people know how traditional games work. So they, oh, what's the AC? And then they look for, oh, that, that's the target number. That must be what the AC is. And then they uh, just assume uh, how, how it all ha- hangs 
uh, how it fits. I can't remember if it was uh, Mike Mason or uh, Robert D. Laws that said this to me, but he's like, Craig, the, the best way to hide a rule is to put it in the book. <laughs> it's very true. Very, very true. So let's pivot here. Lucas is the creator of Heroes of Cerulea. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, Lucas? absolutely. Okay, good. And oversees the game's layout. He has a background in information design and peer-to-peer learning. He's the author of the Swedish RPG, and I'm going to massacre this. So this <laughs> one I'm going to ask you to pronounce for me. How do we pronounce that? It's In Swedish, it's Vindskjell. Uh, We're working on English translation. It's going to be Windsoul. So that's going to be easier okay. to, to well, I was close in my head, so I'm not. So my Swedish is getting better. <laughs> and co-author of the RPGs, God Tale and Thespian. So, Lucas, welcome to the third floor. Thank you for having us. So, same question that we gave Peter, right? Um, I really would love to get a sense of when you first were exposed to this hobby. So, so as a caveat, Peter and I didn't really get to know each other before we started the company. Uh, and so, we didn't grow up close to each other. We didn't hang out. And we really like each other. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing. We really like each other. But uh, the interesting (laughs) thing is that uh, you could pretty much just copy paste the story. But in my case, no kidding. uh, I was really heavily invested in in fantasy literature and video games. And then I found Baldur's Gate. So perhaps I was a little bit Uh. earlier than Peter uh, with Neverwinter Nights, but the same general concept. And I, I, I really enjoyed that game. And there was someone at my school that also really enjoyed that game. We didn't really hang out, but somehow we learned that uh, we were the only ones liking that game at our school. So we started talking to each other, and and we had both heard that there was some sort of tabletop version of of that game. So we wanted to try it out. We got our hands on on, uh, Drake of the Moner, and we brought together a couple of friends, had one session, if I remember correctly, I was the GM, and there was some sort of tavern brawl, and we never played again because uh, no one else <laughs> had fun, and and I, and I loved it. So, so, it, so what was the difference then? So why why did you love it and it just didn't click with anybody else? Do you have a sense of that? I have no idea, actually. Uh, one of the the other guys. Uh, I started playing regularly with uh, as an adult, so he found his way back. Uh, but but I I have no idea. Perhaps like it was sort of my idea uh, to play right. in the first place, and I sort of had to uh, convince them to play with me. And I think I had this idea that it would be fun, and they probably had the idea that maybe it wouldn't. So maybe that caused them to. But yeah, now now. We've done it now. We don't have to do it again. So let's let's put on let's put on some old old man glasses though, right? So now you are much older. You're far more seasoned in the hobby. This is years, years, maybe decades later. And when you think about young Lucas at that table for the first time doing this, um, where were the seeds of of the of the love? So what what happened when you were preparing for that game and running that game for the first time that really made it clear to you now as an adult why we're here even here talking this much this many years later? I think <laughs> this is going to be a boring interview because I'm going to say the same things that Peter said, but I, I think. Like the thing that really stuck out to me was uh, other like video games, computer games have all these limitations and reading books, yep. uh, the the narrative is set. You can't really affect it. 
and it was just like the creative freedom of uh, interacting with the story and, and manipulating events and like you could actually do whatever you could think of as long as as the roles uh, allowed it but yeah like the sort of limitless collaborative mm-hmm. effort of creating stories together with other people instead of being forced down a certain uh, like set of choices was really appealing right. to me. Uh, can I just add something? Um, I think that maybe the appeal that you stuck onto was of being a GM. I mean, you mm. as a GM, you can really feel that creative freedom. Yeah. Uh, but as a player, you, you don't always do that. Uh, you, sometimes you feel railroaded even though you aren't. Uh, but as a GM, it's it's like very clear. I've planned this and then they did the other thing that I haven't planned. Um, so I think that might be because I was also a GM at the beginning. Um, and I think that has as its own appeal. Yeah, I agree. And you you know what's behind that closed door, right? That they never opened. Right. Yeah, it could be a good analysis of things. Um I, th- I think uh, as an adult, I, I really like for the longest time, I really preferred being a player uh, mm. rather than a GM. But yeah. why is that? I don't know. I, I think I like the focus of just uh, embodying one character and, and being the person who does all the, the weird, like who makes all the weird choices and do the cool stuff rather than the one who, who orchestrates everything. So that's interesting to me too, Lucas, because that's uncommon, right? For, for a lot of the designers I talk to, they are forever GMs. So I'd be interested, do you think your player inclinations impact how you make games? Do you think you bring a more player focus to your designs? Uh, that's really hard to say. It's a really good question. Uh, I think like as a designer, you usually bring the designer perspective uh, True. to, to games rather than the player or the GM. But I think I've been really blessed with, uh, I have a, a regular g- gaming group that have uh, been really helpful in playtesting all my games and really supportive. So they've also GM the games for me uh, and we've taken turns doing that. And I think that's helped a lot because... Like when you only get the designer perspective or you're only getting the GM perspective, I think that might hamper uh, how you actually experience the game uh, and you might make design choices that aren't necessarily fun for the players. Yeah. So I've had um, I've had a few uh, Swedish creators on the show. <clears throat> um, it's amazing. Uh, uh, some of the uh, the level of quality and creativity coming out of your country right now. Um, and really, um, for us in the U.S. who, you know, are a bunch of idiots, we, we, didn't, we didn't fully understand the, the rich history of not only role playing in Sweden, but, but really the rich history of uh, fantasy fiction uh, that, that has been present there. And, you know, I look at Heroes, which we're going to do a whole segment on, and there, there is a certain um, playfulness, I think, in, in, the, in the design and in the aesthetic and a certain lightness that comes from it, um, which, is, which is really cool. But I have to say, and again, this is from a, 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 a dummy American with a little limited uh, perspective, it seems very different than what other stuff coming out of Sweden is. <laughs> there, I have a perception of a certain... Um, 
uh, you know, Morkaborg, forbidden lands like grittiness and darkness um, that is very common from the designs on your country. So I've got a two part question for both of you. One, what the hell happened to you guys, you guys as a people that causes so much like Jesus, like I read, I read, I read um, Mork Borg and I'm like, are they OK over there? Like, is, <laughs> do we need to like check in on them? Um, so let's start there. Like, wh- why do you have a sense that uh, that maybe why would I have that perception um, of of that? um that style that seems um, to be coming out of Sweden, you know, in the last decade or so. Peter, do you have a sense of where I might have that feeling? Is it just what I've been exposed to or or is there some truth behind it? No, I, I definitely think that's uh, true. Uh, I think there's like a, a sense of cool, a cool factor to it, that it's cool to do these things. Right. Uh, but as you ask that question, what happened to our people? Uh, it, <laughs> I mean, a joke, ma- but go ma- ahead. <laughs> yeah, but maybe it has something to do with that because we really, uh, I mean, Sweden has been unaffected by both world wars. Right. Um, and so, I mean, or unaffected is quite kind of a stretch, but I mean, we, we haven't been directly in war. Less affected uh, than many other. Less affected. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely. Uh, so maybe it is that we haven't had like we haven't oh, uh, had this kind of history that so we wanted to explore it. In some yeah. other fashion, I mean, we, you you hear about war, and then you want to, like, yeah, in the same way as kids play, uh, play these like war games. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they shoot each other with guns, uh, bang bang, you're dead, and stuff like that. It's it's a way of exploring things that you uh, that's not a uh, part of your life, um, perhaps. Oh, I think that's interesting. What are your thoughts, Lucas? But I mean, uh, I mean, I think that's a really insightful analysis, and I also like. Music-wise, there's a lot of like black metal from the Nordic countries, <laughs> and I think that's so. probably integrated in some sense. But I also feel like uh, taking Mork Borg, for example, is a really dark and grim game. But I think both the otters, uh, they have a, a distance to that darkness. Like they think of it as, right. a, as entertaining and fun and sort of mm-hmm. comedic and... and like self-deprecating in a lot of ways mm-hmm. so it's almost like more black humor than than just yes. black uh, bl- uh black view of life i think uh, so that's there uh, is a sense a of humor in that book i agree i agree and, and it, it but without making light of it right um it's a very interesting balance that they put in there so that leads to the second part of the question why didn't you guys do that? So is that was that a conscious choice with heroes to say, you know, let, let, let's lighten things up a little bit? Or is it just what you made? Yeah, just wait until you see the, our previous game, the, the, the hard to pronounce one, Vindskjell. It's a really colorful, optimistic fantasy game. So I think it started out with that game as like a... A response to all the the grim dark nice. games, and, and in Sweden, a lot of people had called it a, like an anti grim dark thing, and mm. I don't really have anything against like the grim dark and the, the harsh settings, but I just felt like there were so many of them wanted to do yeah. something a bit different, and also, I think like in a lot of ways, uh, the like playing Murkbori is sort of like. Uh, it's a fun experience as well. It's comedic mm-hmm. and it's lighthearted. And I don't think there's that big a difference, only that uh, 
my latest two games are sort of uh, more, uh, it's not implied uh, lightness, it's it's obvious lightness. So perhaps, Explicit, yeah. perhaps I, I'm a bit more dumb and unrefined than other Swedish creators. <laughs> we we got to up your edgelord uh, game, Lucas. You, right. guys, <laughs> you guys aren't, aren't as cool as you, yeah. as you could be. So guys, the Insider Inside series is my opportunity to sit down with designers, developers, artists, writers, and creators, and learn how they approach their work. I try to understand their process, inspiration, and methods for crafting their creations. So we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to focus on uh, one of Peter's games. We're going to talk about Blood Feud. We'll be right back. Gadzooks Gaming is one of our favorite places online to get your gaming goodies terrain, base inserts, miniature games like Marvel Crisis Protocol and Malifaux, jewelry, and even hand-carved wands. RPG books for Call of Cthulhu and Dungeons and Dragons, accessories and models to make your RPG session next level. They are veteran-owned and operated and help support us. So go to gadzooksgaming.com and check out all of their gaming gold. Be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. That's gadzooksgaming.com. So listeners, when you get a chance, obviously scroll down, you're going to get a link to their site. You're going to be uh, probably as surprised as I was at the number of games um, that that uh, this company has already been putting together. But one of the ones that really jumped out to me and I wanted to talk about before we get into Heroes is, is Blood Feud. So let me give you the little blurb I found. Blood Feud is a game about toxic masculinity, certain common attitudes and behaviors among men that cause great harm to them and to others around them. This is a game about people being nasty to each other and about figuring out why. It's also a game about Vikings of pre-Christian Scandinavia, about honor and blood feuds, courage and brutality, corruption and consequences. Above all, it is a game about what it means to be a man in such a world and what the consequences are on the communities that they live in. Uh, so, Peter, you just pick something real light, subject matter, right? Uh, and say, I'm now we're make back a game. in the harsh Swedish. Wow. Like, <laughs> so. I was, re- I, so I saw the art for it and I click on it on the website and I start reading this. I'm like, holy shit, like, like this is a game. And I don't, I haven't even read the game yet. So, um, I guess I want to start, you know, at the beginning, like I always do, but more importantly, I want to get a sense. Did you walk into blood feud saying there are things I want to work on and, and expose and become part of this. And then blood feud came, or did you start working on blood feud and these themes and heavy subjects? Did they emerge from it? So what was the chicken? What was the egg? Um, it was for me, um, and um, th- this process was very, um, it started with, um, it actually, it started back, uh, with Fun Saga, which is my Viking game, uh, yep. uh, my traditional Viking game. And I was, when I got some distance to it, I thought that there are still themes that I want to explore in this game that is, that this game doesn't do very well. Um, and then I, because during the, the process of, of doing that game, I, I came into contact with the uh, with the game Sagas of the Icelanders, mm-hmm. which is a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Um, 
and that has a very very interesting uh, division between uh, male and female um, moves um, so uh, women have to kind of adapt or to um, approach situations in another way than men um, and I thought that is something that I want to explore mm. um, but I don't really I still think Powered by the Apocalypse is kind of a clunky system for the kind of gameplay I want so I was first trying to figure out can we make some kind of um, uh, belonging outside belonging version of this yeah. um, and and then I was also thinking that uh, I'm a man. Um, can I can I do this game alone? Uh, and I realized that I couldn't. I needed mm-hmm. someone else. And then uh, I had a friend uh, who uh, who's called Amos uh, Passion, um, and they um, they are kind of <laughs> heavily involved in the queer uh, gaming community in Sweden. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that would be a perfect person to have on this, uh, this project. So I contacted them and when I pitched the idea, they said that, oh, this is very much like an idea that I've had before. Um, get out. Uh, so I, I want to make a game that is about, um, like toxic masculinity on the male role. Um, they were talking about perhaps making it into a book or something or like more fiction thing, but they, they were very much um, coming from the angle that they wanted to uh, take these themes and do something with them. Uh, that wasn't my approach. Um, but our, both our, our approaches kind of, uh, um, they mixed together very well. Um, so they had this whole queer... Uh, perspective uh, and lots of experience and knowledge that I mm-hmm. d- didn't have. So I, I, I mean, I couldn't have done this game without them. Um, definitely so. Um, so anyway, we started like trying to see if we could get this this thing to work. And um, at one point, Amos said that, well. Mm, I want to do a completely different system. Let's let's not let's just scrap all the things that we've been talking about before and start anew. What is it that we want to explore? What kind of moves are the players supposed to do? And that's when we kind of defined the seven uh, the seven moves, um, which is well, it's basically um, toxic male behavior, um, it, well, kind of adapted to this this setting. Right. Um, so you can. You can share someone's bed, or you can give someone a gift, and that all these moves are things that affect uh, your the, the power dynamics in the in the society, or how how others look at you as a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you can uh, you can um, praise people, um, talk well about them, or you can talk well about yourself, boasting. Um, you can insult other people, uh, and all these things. When these moves trigger, we wanted to have like um, the power shift. So, mm. uh, like in the manner of the belonging outside belonging system, we we took tokens, and so if if I insult you and you don't stand up for yourself, I take your honor, I take your token, and so it's it's it becomes very visual what what yeah. happens. And um, as we play tested this later on, uh, we found that. 
um, it incentivizes exactly the right behavior that we want, or uh, and it it create people are start doing crazy shit that we <laughs> that they wouldn't definitely have no reason to, other than these small tokens. And the Isn't only that things funny? that you can well, the only thing that you can use the tokens for are standing up for yourself and like um, escalating in conflicts. You actually don't need the tokens at all for playing the game. You can play like a nice guy, but mm -hmm. then you can't stand up for yourself if people like start stomping on you. Um, so <laughs> it was all very interesting and, and kind of the uh, light bulb moment when, when we sat down with a, a group of pretty young uh, queer people um, and they just... They just ignored the whole token economy at, uh, <laughs> at all uh, and just had a nice time together. And Isn't we that thought song? that we have something here that like if you focus on these tokens and you, um, uh, you're being an asshole to people for, um, um, yeah, for, for no reason, just to have these tokens, um, people won't have a good time. But you can. There's nothing mm -hmm. that says that you can just like ignore it so but um, I, I think yeah. like in, in the same round of playtest there was a, a group of, of uh, uh, they called themselves radical feminists uh, and they wanted to try out the game and they started acting so so terribly towards each other that you pretty much had to pause the game they were like no what, what are we even doing uh, against right. each other let's let's not play this anymore uh, so, so it's really interesting. Like you, you could approach the game with, like, a, a, as a nice person. But even if you are a nice person that are, are aware of the things, the, the allure of the tokens <laughs> sometimes becomes too much. Even though you know it's not, yeah, like decent behavior. So, Peter, let's take a step back for a second. You know, you and Amos are talking about you know some of the goals, right? Some themes that you wanted to explore. Um, some elements that you um, struggled with maybe in your other game or that you felt were underdeveloped in the other game or understated. Um, seeing just this huge spectrum of how people have played the game, uh, how do you measure whether you were successful or not? Or maybe did the goals change over time? Um, does this game accomplish what you thought it would or where you hoped it would? Or did, it, did, did the target move? Um, actually, I think this was one of the projects where we were very lucky from the get-go and we didn't have to move, move the target or rework the, the rules very much. Um, so as I, I've tried to develop a, a few other games between, uh, between these games and I've always like fell on some idea that, well, I think that this would be an important thing when I designed it and then when we got it to the table it wasn't right. working in the way I uh, I thought it would so in that way I think uh, this uh, this project was very lucky in that respect um, so I but what we did um, but we what we did was when we got some kind of very uh, clear results. Uh, for example, uh, when we saw this, that these play tested, uh, these these play tests yielded um, results that people started acting differently. We that's when mm. we thought that this this is where we have something. Uh, so 
that's where we took a, a new grip on the whole process and thing and scaled scaled off all the other things that wasn't important for that thing. Right. Uh, and then we started to redevelop the game around this thing that we thought was working. Um, so I think the the whole dynamic during the game ha- have hasn't really changed at all. Uh, Amos they they said something uh, at the very beginning, which uh, was like the best the best thing of this game, uh, or the, the most the most effect for least words uh, in this game, and that is that uh, when you write down the the other players in your little list of uh, relationships, you mark if you look up to them or look down upon them. And that was that was genius because that yeah. immediately it creates dynamics. I mean, what 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 does it mean that I look up to you and you look up to me? Uh, that is a nice relationship. Good. What if uh, what if I look up to you and you look down upon me? And that's that creates some kind of um, authority authoritarian um, relationship. Um, so. But but you both looking down on each other creates a whole new dynamic too, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that was ve- that was a very easy thing. Uh, yeah. I think uh, like you were talking about uh, putting the uh, the clocks and everything within view for everyone, right. and that creating a certain kind of tension. And I think it's the same thing with this. Like everyone knows that this person is looking down on this and you are, are looking up to me, and that also really affects the way you play because if yeah. someone is looking down on you you sort of want to stick it to them somehow because because you don't want to feel oppressed and if that was hidden it wouldn't have the same effect yeah that's a great that's a great point so peter let's pretend uh i get my copy of blood feud um i bring it to the table you are nowhere to be found right so you're not there to say whoa guys no or you know you're missing the point or anything and uh after a couple sessions i uh i ring you up and i say um so peter i've got some feedback what are things that I could say to you that makes you know you were successful? What would you like to hear back from us to really go, you know what, damn it, I think we did it. Yeah, the, the easy answer to that question is, um, like, we had a, a good debrief. Um, because that was something that we discussed very much. I mean, a, apart from how the, the game dynamics works during play, we had a lot of struggle with the setup to make it kind yeah. of kind of short because it was taking forever uh but then we also was we were also thinking about what do we need to do after because we have these these heavy themes um how do we make sure that people reflect or because often people have uh they realize things during play um but we wanted to like really bring that out because that was the point of the game that people mm-hmm. should look at they should experience toxic masculinity uh from the viewpoint of the the performers the men and like reflect on that um and so after each play test i think that we each debrief um there's uh, we kind of uh, we 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 were working on different questions to to ask during the debrief um so that took some time but we all always had a debrief more or less mm-hmm. where we talked about uh the game and our experiences and afterwards we said okay now we've had four men sitting around a table 
having half an hour of talk about tech, toxic masculinity. How often does that happen? Right. And in, uh, in other uh, spaces. Yeah. So that's yeah. when we felt like this is something that accomplishes something. Yeah. Yeah. And ju- just for the fact that you you've now created, a, I would imagine, a somewhat safe place to have that discussion that's a lot less threatening. Right. So I can talk about the toxic masculinity of my character or your character, which which is a lot different than me talking about your toxic masculinity, Peter, or my, or feeling mine is being intruded on. Right. And, be, and I'm being threatened in some way. I could see that could be very powerful. So, Luke, Lucas, you're far more of an outsider for Blood Feud, and I'd be really interested as somebody who was, you know, not sitting at the table with Peter and Amos, you know, every minute that this was being worked on. What was your digestion of this game? So do you remember the first time you came across it and, and what what impact it had on you? I think Peter pitched it to me at a convention. We were in a like a convention booth. Uh, and he was like, yeah, I have this idea and I've been talking to uh, one of my friends about it and, and he explained it and you, you sort of get tokens for acting uh, toxic <laughs> towards other people. And I was like, that sounds like a really bad idea. Why would you encourage that sort of behavior? You should uh, get penalties if you act <laughs> badly or something. And he was like, no, the, the, the idea is that we're going to enforce this behavior or, or rather encourage people to act badly. And, and then I started thinking about it, and I was like, yeah, this, it seems like, like a, a, a moral sermon or something, like a, mm. some sort of, it doesn't sound like a fun game, like just experiencing right. toxic masculinity. And, and yeah, I mean, it, it's good. It, it, it's a discussion that, that we need to have, but is it, is it a fun game? And then we tried it, and... and like one of my main takeaways was that it's not it's not really i mean one of the aspects of the game is creating a narrative about toxic masculinity and reflecting on that but what what i felt like validated the game as a game was that the stories it created were really great mm-hmm. like really dramatic and full of tension and interesting choices and and uh, really like they capture the the old Icelandic sagas in a, in a game, uh, like a, a rule set that emulated and, and encouraged those types That's of a stories. Big deal. So I think that was important to me uh, as as a publisher, at least, to for for it not to be uh, like a, a sermon, for it to be a right. fun game. <laughs> and and that's another thing. Like when while playing it, it's a fun experience because people act in really toxic ways, and you. You sort of laugh at it, like as you were saying, it's not the people being toxic; it's the characters. So yep. you can sort of laugh at this is a really stupid decision, but I have to defend my honor and like the absurd choices you make in order to just keep your tokens or get new tokens. So, so I think it has been a, a common criticism about the game by people who haven't played the game that it sounds right. boring and it sounds. Like, why would I want to play this? Mm-hmm. And I think the, my main takeaway was it was really fun, like literally fun to play, and it created great stories. Plus, like the the themes and the discussions and the reflection was really great too. I, I remember at one playtest, uh, 
was a bunch of new people who hadn't really met. We, we put together like a, a game designer convention, like a really small group of people, and we play tested the game. And then after the session was done, we went out and had food. And, and everyone was like, oh, now now uh, you did something that I would get honor from. Like someone uh, pulled out a chair from someone else. Oh, that's typically <laughs> like beta behavior. And now you're, I'm gaining honor from you. And like someone wow. praised someone and like, oh, now you're praising me. So like, uh, so now Isn't I get that honor. Something? So, so that was really exciting to me as well. Like it really uh, made people uh, view their everyday actions in a different light as well. Peter, when people hear the phrase toxic masculinity, there's going to be a huge variance on what that means to them, right? And really in the context of this game, the only viewpoint of what that phrase means is really yours and Amos's. So before we close out and talk about Blood Feud, let's really, let's make sure that we level set with everybody. Uh, when, when you and Amos talk about and design around toxic masculinity, what exactly does that mean for the two of you? Well, we, we, we try to like put it very much front and center. It's uh, like the part that you that you read from the homepage. I mean, uh, we define it for ourselves as the, the these behaviors that cause great harm to both the men and those around them. Um, but an interesting part of it is that um, this is like half uh, the part of toxic masculinity. Um, since a a Amos knows so much about this, and I've on I, I only try to uh, like say what he has, or they has there. I only try to say what they have taught me. Um, mm -hmm. But like what we are exploring in Blood Feud is kind of the warrior king uh, concept, like the the big badass or the like the strong warrior. Um, and there is a whole other side to toxic masculinity that the game doesn't really uh, explore at all. I mean, that is the the uh, philosopher king, um, mm. which is kind of the knowledgeable um, person who who knows everything and um, um, yeah, kind of gets uh, power from from that position. Um, so we were, we have been thinking about uh, it would be fun to make a game about that. Uh, aspect as well but um we haven't gotten around to it um, you, gotta, you gotta call a mansplainer <laughs> yeah exactly uh, exactly that, but, that but i mean that's the game yeah that's the thing uh, like uh, we, we got a lot of uh, comments while we were kickstarting the game and about the game like uh, yeah the only reason we're making this game is, is because we've failed as men and we hate all men and everything manly and, and yeah i mean i I don't think any of us has like general hatred for for manliness or, or anything like that. So the game is not criticizing men for for some of the manly stuff. Like there are a lot of uh, good uh, t uh, traditionally manly aspects and and things that are considered manly that are really helpful to towards others, like uh, uh, protecting and supporting and, and uh, like. Some some nurturing qualities as well that are, are yeah, God forbid considered right. to be male, but I think uh, the thing about toxic masculinity for us uh, designing and and publishing the game is that like the the harmful aspects of, of masculinity the the one the ones who aren't doing 
really good for anything uh, for anyone like it's harming both the the person that's being toxic and the person that's being uh the uh, receiver of, of toxic behavior yep. so that's and a, i think that's a key point right is that is that it you know sometimes it's put in the context of you know what men are doing to others and that is an aspect of it right but the, the other big aspect of it is is the the destruction that's happening internally by by those perpetrating these traits right that that it eats away and and creates um, some very dangerous places um, for people to go and the only other thing I'll throw in there too um, is I gotta figure out how to phrase this um, there is no faster way to tell me. Craig Shipman, you are insecure about your quote unquote masculinity, then start talking about beta and alpha and using those types of terminologies and say, you're just a beta and you're not a real man. And what about masculine roles and things like that? And it just, you know, I'm lucky that I have a lot, you know, I've obtained through a lot of work and being blessed with, you know, the people that have surrounded me. They're like, I can feel I can feel comfortable talking about this stuff because there's a certain level of security that I've obtained by sheer luck that allows me to, you know, and, and the only other example I have that is when we talk about, you know, sexuality. Right. Like I boy, oh boy, you know, um, I can I, I am. I made a decision very early on and it wasn't a conscious decision. I'm straight, right? That's, that's what I'm into. And so like talking about being gay or being queer, it, it, it in no way like makes me defensive or concerned or, or anything because like, yeah, like I, I'm lucky. I know, but I find that when I have or encounter those conversations where people are afraid of it and see it as a threat and things like that, I'm like, you, you got some shit to work through, you know, <laughs> either you need to figure out what the hell's going on with yourself. Um, or maybe you're not what you thought you were and you're fighting something that you need to, to reconcile. Peter, I interrupted you. You were going to say something on, on the talent of Lucas's before my uh, sermon. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I can't remember it now. <laughs> but, Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, but I, that was a really good uh, addition. Um, um, yeah, I got my, I got lost. Well, so I guess what made me think of that, Peter, is, you know, the comments that I would guarantee were going to happen during the Kickstarter, right, where this mm. would be be attacked. And it, like, it's one of those things that when I would imagine for me, I can't speak for you guys, but for me, I would see that and go, you don't realize what you're revealing by by being so concerned about us making this game. I don't think you are saying what you think you're saying. And I don't think you realize what you're saying about yourself in that process. And I, I'd be curious to know whether you felt the same way as, as the arrow started being shot. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was definitely um, very early on. We got kind of attacked from all places I'm sure. um, because those who, uh, who don't like these things at all, they were kind of, oh, this game doesn't exist. Uh, um, and they, well, baselessly just attacking it because they didn't want it to exist. Right. Uh, but then the, it was the other team, so our, our allies, so to speak, that are really fond of these um, these questions and these uh, topics. They were also very uh, inquisitive. Like, why, why, are, why are two, um, well, why are two men doing this game? So we had... We had to defend um, 
it from both angles. We had wow. we had had to kind of we ha had to explain what it was to make the allies understand that we, okay we're on the the good side i'm making uh <laughs> yeah. air quotes um so that they would uh they they would understand that where we were coming from yeah. um so we had to make an uh an faq uh where we hmm. explained that we are not two men doing this game or like we're based in the queer uh the queer community and, mm -hmm. and then it was the other the other team who just uh said well well Toxic masculinity. What to masculinity isn't toxic. Um, mm. So we tried our best, I think, to kind of like um, to answer those questions, like it was real questions, like they that they wanted an answer, um, and it kind of just um, fueled the fire, I think, because yeah. uh, they were mad that we didn't, that we weren't <laughs> offended by the questions. And it was kind of a good PR thing uh, because it was our, our first international game and uh, people didn't know about <laughs> us. And then uh, we had people coming from all, all places uh, just wanting to hear about the game. So we were pleased. So, so, so one of the things that we learned uh, while marketing it is that if you put into a Facebook ad that you want to show it to people who are interested in like equality and things like that, it, it markers it to people who comment on equality posts <laughs> and, and it's not necessarily uh, people who are interested in equality. But, but, but uh, coming back to what you were saying about uh, security and being in a position of privilege, I think for, for Peter and I, we could just shrug our shoulders uh, at like the the criticism and the comments and and the <laughs> the quite terrible things that people were say, saying about us because we could just say that yeah well that that's not true so <laughs> that's a weird thing of you to say uh, and some things were true I actually eat a lot of soy uh, products uh, but <laughs> which I got to hear a lot uh, from people recommending me to not eat as much soy uh, and I think like, <laughs> I like edamame <laughs> yeah. uh, but but then I don't want to speak for anyone else but I feel like if if we hadn't been like Peter and I we were, were uh, tall white males with beards or mustaches and, and uh, straight uh, very 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 cis like and stereotypical male in a lot of ways so it's really easy for us to shrug our shoulders at getting criticism but I think had someone else made like published this game uh, that perhaps weren't uh, in a, such a privileged position it could be really a really terrible experience getting yeah. all this hate and, and, and criticism and just uh, vitriol from from people uh, so I think that was like a, uh, a responsibility we we talked about uh, and, and we wanted to to take on like sort of shielding uh, other yeah. uh, creators from from that hate and just shrugging it's, our shoulders towards receiving it ourselves it's fascinating you say that, Lucas, because one of the things that I'm learning in this process, this multi-year journey I've made, you know, talking to creators, um, I, you're 100% right, because as I've talked to more creators that, are, that come from, you know, more traditionally marginalized communities, it is 
unbelievable the difference in how they are criticized versus the three of us. Right. And it is, it is, um, it's incumbent, I think on everybody, not just us, this white dudes to say, you know, just because my experience is this doesn't mean this is the experience of everybody. And someone criticizing my work and criticizing another work from somebody who has come from a different history than mine using the same words hits different. It punches different and it feels different. Um, so I, I think that's very, very profound and really one of my biggest learnings um, as I've talked to more and more people, because quite frankly, you know, cis white dudes designing RPGs is not a new thing. Um, it's been a thing for a while, but that's changing and it's exciting and it, um, it informs us. Um, you know, as players and as GMs and as, as creators. Um, so holy cow, we don't like, we just put together a hell of a segment there. We covered some serious distance. So I think we might want to lighten things up a little bit. So guys, let's take a quick break and let's come back and let's talk about their active Kickstarter. Uh, when this drops, this Kickstarter is still live, but we'll talk about opportunities about this Kickstarter. If you're a little bit behind on episodes, we're going to talk about heroes. We'll be right back. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This is the part of many podcasts where someone comes on, interrupts the show, and explains that you should consider paying for the content that you're listening to right now for free. That pitch man explains by giving a dollar or more a month, you not only support the show, but you allow the show to grow and improve. Here on the third floor, we refuse to interrupt your episode of Tabletop Talk with such time-wasting pleas. We pledge never to run a spot asking you to go to patreon.com and give a dollar or more a month because supporting content creators keeps the content coming. Even if there is a link in the show's description, and there is, we don't ask you to click it and become a patron. We don't waste time rambling about the benefits like early access to episodes, getting episodes without ad breaks like this, or even getting a chance to play in one of Craig's RPG sessions. Anyway, Enjoy this episode knowing Tabletop Talk, despite being supported by its patrons, won't engage in such blatant appeals for support. So these gentlemen reached out to me, um, you know, in conjunction, um, one, they said very kind things about the show, which is the fastest way to get on the show, by the way. <laughs> 
but um, uh, but they, you know, they mentioned that their, their Kickstarter was, and I went and and I'll be, you know, in full disclosure, um, I'm very lucky. I have a lot, of, a good number of designers that reach out to me, and I, which I consider myself very blessed for. And not all of them come on the show. Um, there's an evaluation process where I want to look at the work and you know make some decisions here. This one hooked me right from the beginning, so I'm gonna I want to read the blurb so everybody can get a sense of this. But I gotta be honest with you, you need to go down and click on it too because the it's the visual aesthetic that goes with this that kind of pieces it all together. So Heroes of Cerulea, the world is locked in a perpetual cycle of conflict between good and evil. The Guardian and the Paragon bravely defend the world against the Shadow King and his horde of monsters. All three have been reborn numerous times throughout history. Now, the Shadow King has returned once more, but the Guardian and the Paragon are still nowhere to be seen. New heroes must come to Cerulea's aid. And like that is like I, I take my video game box, I turn it over and I read it or I've got my little intro video at the beginning of Zelda or something like that. It really invokes that feel both you know thematically and the simplicity of it all. And again, for those of you that have not followed instructions yet and gone to look at the visuals, you see the pixel art, right? The, 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 the very, very uh deliberate choice that, that that the game looks as well as it feels. So I, I want to take a quick step back to talk about something that we haven't touched on yet. And I want to talk about the day the two of you come together, right? So you don't know who Peter is. You don't know who Lucas is. And then where did you guys first brush up against each other? We both uh, had like tabletop discussion podcasts in Swedish. Uh, uh, and there was a, a Discord founded for, for Swedish tabletop podcasters. Isn't that something? And, and we joined it. And uh, like, for some reason, there, there was a channel called like RPG Design or something. And, and we started chatting in there and, and were like, we started helping each other out with creating games and, and making design, like giving feedback on each other's games. And, and after a while, we were like, Okay, so so soon we're gonna go to conventions and we're gonna start doing Kickstarters and everything, and and I have a background in, in layout work, and graphics, and Peter has a background like in business, and so either we could like teach each other those things, and then we could go to our separate booths at the at the conventions, we could sell our separate stuff, we could do our separate uh, business plans and everything like that yep. or we could just join forces and <laughs> hopefully uh, create something uh, better uh, in the end through through helping each other so, so that's pretty much how it ended up i think we met at a convention perhaps even yeah, played a game con. together uh, yeah uh, but and and i think we released a game before we met each other for a second time <laughs> so isn't that so something pretty much all, uh, we live in different parts of sweden so so we're do, running the entire company on discord and google drive pretty much so uh, other than just being lucky that the two of you clicked um l l let's be a little bit more um uh 
uh, let's get rid of some assumptions. Like, why, right? So it, it wasn't just sheer luck. Um, obviously, you know, Peter, it took work in order to to be able to partner with Lucas. Things that you had to learn to do and to not do. Things to say, what not to say, to make the partnership work. That's what partnerships are, right? Is you 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 create something stronger through the two of you, but it takes concessions on both sides. Um, how hard has been that process, or was it truly as um, as natural as Lucas painted it to be? I I see it as a pretty a pretty s- soft journey actually. Really? Yeah, I think it's seldom you find someone who have the same ambitions and mm. like the same for me I'm a very um uh, I'm a very uh, detail oriented. Yeah, exactly. I I notice details. Uh well, I think that maybe comes from like the accounting and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You have to be very, uh, you have to put notice to the details. Um, and then when I, I noticed that when I said stuff to Lucas, it could be something small. Like there is, uh, there is something that's uh, made bold on the web page or something. He would actually correct it, uh, <laughs> and not t- not like just ask what why is that important just keep it it doesn't yeah. matter because that for me it's like all these small flaws uh kind of contribute to the overall uh, no question idea you get of the company so that is i think one of the strongest uh things about us that we have that level of uh eye for detail um mm-hmm. and also the same ambition the uh, level of ambition we we want to prioritize this in the, the, the same amount, um, uh, like put, put, really I, put work into it. Yeah, I'd like to add to that, that we're, uh, we're, we can both be quite harsh uh, in our criticism of each other's work, not necessarily of each other as persons, but like right. we read through a game and it's like we don't really put much effort into uh, caring for for uh feelings on that level like uh, mm-hmm. we just cross things out and like this is bad rewrite it uh, and yep. the other person like yeah okay now that you mention it i see that it's bad and, and i'll do my best to rewrite it or we have a discussion about it and, and then we try to care for each other like for for important things of course yeah but but like the creative process is is made quite simple because uh, somehow we seem to understand that this is not a criticism of you. This is not something you've done badly. It's just something that I feel we could do better. And I think that's a really part, an important part of the, the collaborative process for us. It will, it's a huge deal, and it, and it speaks to the um, the level of trust you two have have built between you, right? That um, that when you know Lucas says this is garbage, Peter knows where you're coming from right that he knows that you're not coming after him and he'll look at it and 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 might disagree right um and then then you're ready and have the trust of peter that you're like look i just read this this is garbage peter comes back and goes it's not garbage and you don't just double down right you have a level of trust to go hmm he doesn't always do that a lot of times when i say this is garbage he just changes it now he's not doing that and that, that that that's significant but i will tell you what really stands out when I hear you two talk is the shared 
aligned goals. Because boy, oh boy, you go through and you look at every band that broke up, every partnership that fell apart, and that is always what it comes down to, is one party wanted this and the other party wanted that. And when they stopped wanting the same thing, it all crumbles. Um, So uh, I don't think you can overstate how significant that is. All right, that's all the warm, fuzzy kids. Let's talk about making (laughs) games. Um, Peter, where did you get a sense of where, like if I had to... Uh, be an archaeologist and forensically go back and figure out like the acorn where where this game came from. Where do you think were the first seeds of this that ended up being heroes? Where was the first mention or the first discussion or? Actually, (laughs) Lucas has an ability to just conjure up things out of nowhere and just having like a pretty much like a uh, completed concept from like over a weekend. Like I've wow. been thinking about this thing and then, um, and then there's a document and then there, the document is filled with, with stuff and I'm like, okay. Uh, and then there's a logo uh, and like, so uh, that is one of your uh, finest qualities. I would say you, you have a, a way of like, making things into a product even before it's a product so you kind of get a sense of what what it will become and out of that um, perspective it's, it's much easier to kind of approach it so uh, okay so this is a small game about uh, uh, video games uh, or um, that kind of um, narrative um, so um well, it creates a lighthouse, right, Peter, that you can navigate around. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I would say this is one of the games that just popped up. Uh, I don't know where it came from. Uh, right. So, so but, Peter but just sees I, this thing. Go ahead. Yeah, but I see lots of similarities from the other games. So, right. um, But I think that that is one of the interests that we don't talk very much about, um, like video games and computer games. We both play them separately, but we don't talk about them very much. Interesting. Um, so I think that was something that uh, came into uh, uh, your mind by yourself. So, so from Peter's perspective, this thing just got thrown up into a Google Doc and, and put in front of him. And he's like, holy shit, like, <laughs> wow, okay. But that's not how it was for you, right? Because it's been my experience, Lucas, with people that operate that way, that it was long before a word was typed or, or a pencil hit a piece of paper, things were brewing and like languishing and swimming around in the back of your brain for a period of time. Is that what happened here where you just had this thing kind of... Uh, you know, sitting in the warmer and waiting for the yeast to rise? Or did it truly just like I woke up and I was like, holy crap, and I'm just going to write all this down? Like, what happened? I, I think actually it's more of the former, for like the, the latter part. Peter sort of yeah. has, has the right idea about it. I read, like I found a, a, a fan-made Zelda tabletop RPG game that I was reading through. And I'm, I'm a big fan of, of the Zelda games. And like all things are subjective and you can find so many different aspects of, of something. And I just read through this game and I was like, this is not how I would design a, a Zelda game at all. <laughs> uh, and I wasn't personally offended. I was just personally challenged. Like what, what, yeah. what would my Zelda game look like? 
and I was like, yeah, there wouldn't be like that much simulation, that many stats. I would just have like the, the main Triforce stats and you you'd make a roll. And then, yeah, I made this other game that you could probably use that system. And then it was like, yeah, and you would have items and dungeons. And then I just put it into a document and, and there it was, I think. So so it was like a, a weekend project or, or perhaps even a day project from conception to to the quick start we later published uh, with some refinements, I think. But, but Lucas, I'm trying to... So I get that, right? I understand what you're saying there. But there's a lot of potential underlying drives that are doing that, right? And that's what I want to try to understand. Like, is it, um, this is fine, but I could do better and I want to prove to myself I can do better. Or this is fine, I don't want to play your game, but I want to play a game like this, just not the one you made. So I'm going to make the game so I can play it. Or is it, um, this is a question. I don't like your answer. I'm going to give you mine. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like there's a lot of different ways you can get to where you got to, and I'm not getting a clear sense of which one it was, or if it was all three or neither of them. And I think mostly just curiosity. Like it's easier to, I think my, my question was what would my, Zelda tabletop RPG look like. Uh, I, I didn't particularly agree with the design choices in this game, but what would my game look like? And I think it was easier to answer that question just th- through making the game as opposed to, to thinking about answering it uh, as, as uh, words. Like it was easier to answer it as a game. Why just attack him on Twitter? That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I really want to underline. I don't, I don't have anything against like no, no differing. It ambitions. wasn't your game, right? Yeah, it wasn't your answer, right? Yeah. Um, which is which again is is not saying that their game was bad, but like no. you know, uh, one of my favorite things, uh, and this was Robin D. Laws. You know, I said, you know, Robin, how do you handle criticisms? And he goes, it's easy. I just tell him it's not their game. <laughs> like yeah. this game's not for you. Right. And that's okay. It's okay to make a game that's not for everybody. And it's okay to read a game and go, yeah, this is not really my thing. And like, we can just move on in life and, you know, and, and, and do things. So you, Peter, you get this explosion document that's got all of this stuff that, that is surprisingly baked from a concept standpoint. Right. And Lucas, I would imagine you're excited to get Peter's feedback on it. What happens next after Peter's had a chance to digest this? Um, like, do you guys call each other and talk through it? Is it like what happens after that? Or what or what did happen after that, I guess? A lot of our communi- communication goes via text, but we have like biweekly meetings uh, where we discuss company-related stuff. And something that we have been discussing a lot lately is kind of less the game... Um, the game aspects uh, or the game design aspects, but uh, instead talking about marketing and how can Mm. we actually uh, make something greater with this company? Because we have been, we have been releasing a couple small games and now like, do we really want to do this or do we want to keep it at this, this level? And we both felt that it wasn't really worth, um, um, like keeping it at the the low level that we were before so we were thinking like we need uh to head to the international market and like blood feud was the first step into that uh, and then we were all always kind of like discussing 
what what is our next game because mm-hmm. we have our separate projects brewing and um lucas has a better ability to like finish them than i do i have lots of <laughs> several several things in it's my back skill. burner yeah um but that's the that's that's the thing as well um that uh i think you you create kind of small concepts and then you you send them out pretty quickly uh, which I think is uh, also skill, like focusing on the the minimum viable product. What is what is this pro- product yeah. at its very core? Um, so anyway, um, we were looking. I was looking at this, and we were discussing like this could be something that is uh, that is both a fun project. We can make we. we um, this sounds pretty bad, I guess, but I mean uh, we have pretty good confidence that we can do nice products uh, because uh, it's just that um, it's a good confidence to have yeah but but it, we want many people to to see them as well yeah. um, so right then I think we both thought that this might be something that is mark uh, market um, is viable on on the the market it has like a pretty wide appeal to people people have these um have, people have feelings they they uh, yeah. they uh, have nostalgia for the the whole um computer or the ugh. the entire aesthetic invokes an emotion i can tell you right now because it did it to me yeah so so i think that's where we continued from uh like I, it was also a pretty quick process wouldn't you say lucas yeah i, I think uh, like for all the games we're making uh like the first step uh, when we get a game or a game concept from from the other person, we sort of look at and try to understand what is the game concept, what's this game trying to do. And we have quite different design sensibilities and preferences for, for games. But mm-hmm. we, we try to really understand what is this particular game trying to do. And then we start questioning, is it actually doing that thing and sort of help each other improve those aspects of it. So what did you guys decide early on Heroes was trying to do? Yeah, I think it's very focused on like capturing the 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 essence of video games, but uh, transporting it into tabletop role-playing games and like getting... Uh, Perhaps not the best of both worlds, but some of both worlds. Uh, and like, it, it's not trying to be an old school dungeon crawl role playing game. It's trying to be an old school dungeon crawl video game, but right. in a in a role playing context. And, and it's trying to evoke feelings of playing a video game, um, but but while you're playing a role playing game. And I think all those aspects, as we started talking about it, and and. A lot of things just clicked because once we started going in that direction, we started talking about art, and it was like, yeah, we should probably have pixel graphics because that evokes the same feeling like of old video games, and like with the book cover design, uh, we're doing like sort of a, a NES cartridge inspired so cool. design, <laughs> and, and like that also captures the uh, the the essence, like the the concept of the game, and I think. Yeah, if you understand what a game is trying to do, it's easier to help uh, refine that concept 
as opposed to if you're trying to make every game uh, your own personal preference, uh, like the, the ultimate game for you. Uh, so, so this is more like an ultimate. We're trying to make the ultimate game for this concept from our point of view, I guess. So here's what's really interesting as I'm listening to this. So often we say, here's video games, and here's everything these video games don't do, so I'm going to make a tabletop game that, that fills those gaps, right, that, that takes care of those shortcomings, right? That's, I've had that conversation so many times. How we started the podcast talking about that, right, How, right. in your origin stories. But that's not what you just said, Lucas. What you just said is there's things that are in video games that we don't get at the tabletop. I want to try to bring those in. And, I, and can, so talk to me about that. What are things that are exclusive to the video game role playing that, that we don't get at the tabletop that you try to bring to the tabletop? Yeah, I mean, I was just saying that, uh, like, pixel art really, we felt it captured the the essence, like the core of the, uh, the concept. And in a lot of ways, it's really stupid to have pixel art in printed media. Why would you do that? You're not limited by uh, the, the, the pixels. And in the same way, it's really stupid to try to bring video game logic into tabletop role-playing games, because why would you add those limitations? Uh, so, so I, I think it's it's a correct analysis. That's what we're doing here. We're trying to capture like using the the limitations of video games and bringing that into uh, tabletop role playing games for for the hell of it. Like like trying to see if it works and if it's a fun experience. And and during playtesting, we we sort of found out, yeah, this is uh, pretty fun. And what we're bringing in is like. The logic of the world, game world in in a, a role playing, like most tabletop role playing games, the the setting is uh, realistic. It makes sense in a lot of ways. Like it's uh, sort of uh, reminiscent of our own world in most ways. Yeah. Uh, but especially classic video games, perhaps even modern video games, like certain uh, certain genres of video games have their own logic. And so if you take a, an old Zelda game, you could find a key and someone apparently put a key in a, a pot <laughs> for some reason, you don't know why. And that key can open any lock inside this entire dungeon. But once you use the key, the key disappears and you have to find a new key to unlock the next. And it's like, it doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. And why has someone placed the key there? And why has someone placed an item that you can use? Like the, the, the boss is particularly weak against this item. And it's placed in a chest that's accessible to someone coming in from the outside. Four doors down. <laughs> and it's like, this doesn't make sense at all. But, but in a video game, it does. Because the challenge is, is uh, like... Figuring out how to uh, pro progress through the dungeon and, and finding, solving puzzles and figuring out secrets, and, and it's a it's a fun experience in a video game. So why wouldn't it be mm -hmm. a fun experience in a tabletop role playing game as well? And I think it allows you to design dungeons in a different way, and it, it designs you to explore dungeons in a different way and and interact with puzzles in a different way because uh, you could like take more liberties as a uh, as a dungeon designer if it doesn't really have to make sense yeah. uh, for <laughs> the person to build it to build it that way uh, and also like yeah uh, i i think in a lot of ways the limitations 
facilitate a, a peculiar experience that's not other role-playing games and that's sort of what validates this game that it's just doing yeah. something a bit different peter as part of the process of working on this game have you figured out why you like video games so much has it has been having to to deconstruct this to the degree you've had to revealed like oh maybe you know what that's why i freaking love video games so much have you learned something about your love of video games in the process of making this tabletop game I don't think so, actually. Um, mm. I, I don't have a um, a history of, of playing like um, Nintendo games. Uh, I had a Sega when I was young. Uh, so you were was, that kid. Yeah, I, I was that kid. <laughs> uh, so it was Sonic for me. Um, and, uh, so and then I I uh, I joined my my friends at their uh, uh, homes where they played Super Mario, and I thought, oh. This was what I, I should have gotten. <laughs> um, anyway, but I, I have actually no uh, nostalgia towards mm. the, the Zelda games. Um, I have never played them. Uh, I, I think I've tried to play some emulator or something in the uh, the last decade of my life. But um, well, it, hopefully not the last, but the most recent. Uh, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That might be correctly for. <laughs> but, I don't know why I said that. Uh, sorry. Anyway, uh, um, anyway, I, I didn't. If you play those games now, um, I don't. I don't really see the appeal. But anyway, they don't hold up. I can tell you that right now. No, yeah. um, that's what that was my feeling as well. But anyway, when Lucas pitched this to me and he said that, well, uh, and NPCs, they they only want to talk about one thing. Uh, and you can't get them to talk about something else. They just steer it back to the thing that they want to talk about. And I thought that that is a setting that is so hilarious. Uh, yeah. And and that is kind of like what's what's fun for me. It's to create these these fun moments that are specific to the setting and the group that we're having. So um, we've been discussing this pre- pretty recently, and we've figured out that we we don't see the same appeal in this game. Interesting. Uh, I very much see this, like, yeah. I don't know if it's college humor or uh, some of these other shows that they they've made like episodes where they look at the absurdity of video game logics, like MMOs and stuff like that. And uh, that is kind of the thing that I want to explore. I want to explore what does this uh, video game world look like for the these small pixel characters. So I would describe my characters having like my name floating above my head, and uh, so so I don't see the world at all from the perspective of my character. I see it as yeah. you would see it on a, a video game screen, um, and to, to me that is what is so liberating that this this could tell completely new narratives that I haven't explored in other role playing games. It's so funny that you said about, you know, going back and playing it. And I don't know if this, you know, Lucas, I, you and I, I think, sh- share more of a nostalgia than maybe Peter does um, on this. But, um, and it immediately made me think, so had you, three years ago, have you said to me, hey, Craig, was Gauntlet a good game? I mean, I, I'd be like, like, Gauntlet's my goddamn childhood. So, yeah, not only is it, it's a great game. And the hours and the quarters that I spent on Gauntlet, well, I had a chance to play it again, like a year ago. And it's a terrible game. Like, it's awful. It's a bad game. <laughs> but but like my memories of it are, 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 are so distinct. And I forget like how much like 
evolved, right? So now what I want from games is much different than when I was, you know, warrior needs food. Um, and, and, and I would imagine, you know, it'd be the same thing for, for like, like Zelda and stuff like that. Like we, we, we have a forgiveness when we, you and I go back and play Zelda that Peter doesn't, the game doesn't deserve to get from Peter because Peter wasn't, you know, you know, he's, he's not there. Does that, am I making any sense? And it creates an interesting perspective for the two of you, doesn't it? Yeah, I think absolutely. Like nostalgia co- colors your memories yeah. and stuff, and and even if you go back to it, uh, you're still uh, not impartial to the game. But but hmm, maybe maybe I am caught up in nostalgia. But I went back <laughs> and played the first Zelda game uh, a while ago, and, uh, and I thought it was great. Fell in love all over uh, again. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I thought like. <laughs> Wow, this is great! It should be like, the, why aren't there more Zelda games like this? Isn't that funny? Like, a, I mean, like seeing the different paths the game yeah. could explore. And I went back to the Super Nintendo one, and I thought it was really great as well. And I played through most of them while uh, like finishing up the details of, of this game. And uh, yeah, I think personally, maybe I'm, I'm just. Uh, maybe it's Stockholm well, it's just syndrome, or, or maybe it, right? it's nostalgia, yeah. but but I think yeah. they hold up in a lot of sense. That's cool. So. That's cool. Um, and it's funny because, and that could be a whole podcast episode, right? Is why why does why do they hold up for Lucas, but they don't hold up for Craig, even though we mm-hmm. have similar you know uh, fondness for it. So I want to go back to the partnership here. So we talked about Google Docs crossing things out. This is dumb. Fix it and stuff like that. With you two having such unique perspectives on this game. I want to talk about fights that each of you fought and won, right? So is the, can each of you, and I'll start with you, Peter, was there an instance where either Lucas was going in a direction, you're like, no, and, and, and I'm not going to, like, I'm going to fight for this. Or was there a situation you can think of where you were going in a direction and, and Lucas cut you off and, you know, that you fought to keep it? Um, am I making sense? Yes, you're making sense. I'm I'm thinking uh, about what examples I could could talk about because these these events happen. Um, we there are several times where we have different viewpoints about stuff, but that's what I think is so liberating that I right. could. I'm not very good at like um, being careful with my words. I kind of just write what I think. And then uh, people get angry and then there's no discussion. But Lucas doesn't do that. He is very forgiving in that sense. Uh, so he, he actually, when I say something that he doesn't understand, he, try to, he tries to really understand what, it, what is it I mean? Why do I say that? Why, why, doesn't, why doesn't we see this thing in the same way? And um, I think there are many, oftentimes we kind of, we, we we find some kind of consensus like the, this these parts were uh all uh, on the same page with and then we have maybe some other parts that we haven't really decided on yet or uh, that was that we still think differently about and often we revisit those things and uh often lucas has changed his mind oh. mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but it, it I can't. I can't really remember now any practical examples when that happened. But I, I know there. Uh, we were talking about. Oh, it, it hasn't something to do with Heroes of Cerulea, but um, we were talking about giving our games out for uh, for free on PDF or mm-hmm. like pay what you want. That was something that I 
uh, wanted pretty early on. And then we didn't really know how to get it to work. Uh, if right. we were running Kickstarters, then we wouldn't be able to uh, charge for that. And um, so that that was something that we kind of butted heads on a bit. And then we we did it my way. <laughs> So I'm going to phrase it slightly different. And, and Peter, by all means, just because I'm trying to ask the question 10 different ways, doesn't mean this it needs to change your answer. So like, Craig, I've answered this question. And all the right. answer is like, shut up about it. Um, but if so, I get my copy of Heroes and I slide it over to you, Peter, and I say, show me something. You, show me something you fought for. What do you what, what in here? What in here is not Lucas. It's Peter. I don't know. Uh, I haven't I haven't read the, the latest drafts. And I can't re really remember what kind of feedback I've given on it. Uh, I haven't looked at the text for quite a while. I, we're just getting into uh, to editing it. So I, yeah. uh, I've looked at the first two chapters uh, since... Can, do, do you have something... Is there anything Lucas? distinctly Peter, Lucas, that you can think of that, that I will find in the book? I, I'm trying to rack my brain, not only this game, but all our, our games, like... Uh, there's been a lot of discussion and a lot of comments in, in the Google Docs and, and mm -hmm. everything. But I'm trying to, like, I think it's a great question. And, and, and I would want to give you a, a, a like, <laughs> illuminating answer. But I, I keep getting back to, like, yeah, we had this discussion about this thing. And it's never ended with, okay, you get it your way. I right. don't care anymore. It's always yep. like, okay, now I understand what you're going for. Uh, that sounds good. Or... I never felt strongly about this. It, it was just an idea that I had, uh, but it makes sense that you would include it. And yeah, I'm having a hard time coming up with something. The two of you finding consensus could be the answer, right? Which is, you know, it's not a matter of, you know, Peter gets this, Lucas got that, or we, I fought for this and we kept it. It could be that you guys work together and tell me if I'm wrong here because I'm not in the room, but that you guys work through this until you understand it, right? Until you both can say, yeah, okay, th this is good. So it may have started from Peter, it may have started from Lucas, yeah. but by the end, there's an understanding and a consensus that it no longer is just one or the other, that you both ended up in the same spot. Is that resonating at all? Yeah, I yeah. would say that's how it mostly works. I mean, if, yeah. if, if we don't, um, uh, if, we, if, we, if, we, if we don't agree on something, we talk about it until we either understand that well, well, we have to talk about this some, some other time. Uh, but as we mostly do it in text, I think uh, it's easier to go back and look at the conversation mm. again and trying to, uh, to revisit it. And um, so, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes you more deliberate, too, I would imagine, not just being a verbal back and forth by, by being in text. Yeah. I would like to, to underline that all my games are... are immensely better for having Peter and uh, go through them yeah. and giving feedback on them and, and criticizing my ideas. And sometimes like getting your ideas criticized, uh, you learn what, what you, why you made the choices you made and you, you, you learn uh, what ideas you really believe in and you get the opportunity to, to sort of defend them uh, in, in, in a way, uh, or, you immediately just realize, yeah, that's, that was stupid of me. Why, why did I do it that way? But, but every time it's really evolving the, the game texts and the game concept and the rules and everything. So, so it wouldn't be 
uh, anywhere near uh, like the, the the level of game design that I feel we've uh, sort of reached with uh, the games I've written uh, if it weren't for for Peter's feedback on it. But I also think that it depends on whose game it is. I mean, mm. I I feel that since this is your game, I I deliver feedback, and if there's something that you don't understand. Uh, and you want to figure out what I mean with, we, we discuss it. But then uh, often um, often it's kind of a, I give you this and you do what you want with it. If you think that this feedback is valid, uh, often you do and you change the things that I've uh, proposed. Um, but um, often it's like, okay, but I, that's not the kind of game I want to make. Uh, so I will, I, I'm going to keep it this way. Uh, and this is why. Yeah, yeah, but the process is sort of like we send each other a document, and then the other person goes through it and and like adds uh, stuff or, or removes stuff and, and or switches positions or write comments, and then the other person goes in and like everything they agree with, they just approve in the document, and everything they don't agree with, they it starts a discussion. So it's never like even though we're offering it like. Uh, this is your game, do with it whatever you like. It's sort of, we'd never just uh, like, yeah, that's not a good idea, uh, delete. Uh, if it's not a good idea, we it's always a discussion. That's cool. Uh, and if it is a good idea, then it's just accepted, I think. But I mean, that, 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 that's you. you. I mean, you want to discuss these, these things. <laughs> Another person might have just clicked delete on that comment Correct. and then just okay, say, yeah. well, this is my game, you, you can say what you want. Um, so, but that is also the kind of dynamic that I think uh, is so favorable in this uh, partnership. Um, you guys are that, very lucky. Yeah, yeah. That's that's something that I think a lot of people would hunger for, and I think it's something that um, I would imagine there's designers listening, or collaborators in business, or anything that say, you know, uh, had had I been able to have that type of relationship, I would have kept that partnership going and stuff. I mean, how there's probably people thinking they could have saved their marriage if they could <laughs> have those types, that level of uh, trust in, in the discussions. So Peter, we're now going to transition over to what is uh, one of my favorite segments of the show, which is talking to creators. You know, we spend an hour or two talking about everything you make, how you make and what you make. Um, I want to flip it back on you because I also find it fascinating to find out what you eat. What do you consume? So in recently, are there things, is there anything that really, did to you what you hope your games do to somebody else? Is there is there a book you've read or a, a movie that you saw that you couldn't get out of your head or something you binged watched or binged played uh, either on the tabletop or with a controller in your hand? Um, what is something someone else has made that has recently had a big impact on you? Um, this is a good question. Um, I think there's when you when you look through um when you consume media or of some some kind you kind of you're inspired by some of it um mm -hmm. and often my mind starts like playing how, how how can i make this into a role playing game but other things are uh, like uh, perfect in their own uh, yeah. own sense so um i um i have some examples that i i think i could bring up um i um, the the movie Birdman has, I mean, I've watched that several times, and I've it is very close to a game idea that I have had about like demons plaguing people, like talking to them and affecting their actions. Uh, and 
I, every time I watch that movie, I think, damn, this is a good movie. And I want to make a game that does this. Um, so that, that's, that's one thing uh, that I come to think about. Why did it, why does it resonate with you so much outside of the fact that it's potential inspiration for a game? There's, there's a, there's something that you like about it outside of that. Right. And what is that? Well, I think the, the dialogue is, uh, very nice. Um, it's, it's snappy. It, it, mm-hmm. it captures and it, it feels genuine. Like you can really feel that these people are people, even though they're, they, they are extremes in their uh, own ways. Um, and it has an aesthetic to it. I, I really like the Wes Anderson movies as well because they have this very um, special style to them. And, and this uh, this movie is shot, or it's it's shot in several shots, obviously. But it it's when you see it, it's like a, a long uh, gives shot. that illusion exactly. Um, so there, it's. It's nice to look at, and the content is uh, interesting, and the dialogue is sweet, and then there are good actors, and it just captures yeah. everything, I think. That's very, very cool. How about for you, Lucas? What is, what is something that you just look at and go, man, I love that? I, I was really uh, enthralled with the, the movie, uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh, my uh, God, I still haven't seen it. Oh, uh, my God, it, I need to see it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go into details. Uh, but, but, no, please, but I will tell uh, you that everybody I've ever talked to whose opinion matters to me is like, Craig, this is like this was really, really good. So without spoilers, why? Why is it that it like everybody I talk to that I care about is like, dude, <laughs> Yeah, uh, like Peter was saying, it's something authentic about it. Like mm-hmm. it feels like it's not compromising with with anything. Like it's pretty low budget, but it still feels like they haven't made compromises in order for it to to uh, bring in a mainstream audience. And it doesn't really feel like they've compromised. Like the limitations of the budget has created more interesting art rather than than having a uh, a big hollywood budget and also like yeah the story and everything it just resonated with me and and i i love these movies that when you watch them you, you sort of it's just a movie but you leave with a, an enlightened feeling within you like you figure something out or or, or you yeah. resolve something really important and there are a couple of those movies which really feel like uh, it feels like uh, the, the the soul feels really light and vibrant after watching it. And, and I, I have a hard time pinpointing what it is, but some movies just really... Yeah, it feels like you figure out the meaning of life uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and you can die happy. Uh, and it's just yeah. a movie, but it, it was a pretty cool movie. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, it's that impact, right, that that, that makes us do all of this right and 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 you and and I really feel like for me and my limited creations that I do um you know with podcasting and and live streaming and stuff like that like I, 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 something that drives me is like I want I've been given that feeling so many times and I know how powerful that feeling is of going oh I like this that like mm-hmm. I want to deliver that a little bit you know and does is is that a drive for you at all Peter and Lucas as far as creation is that desire to give back or or, or, or the hubris to say I can, I'm I'm good enough that I could <laughs> give uh, you know give that same feeling that someone gave me. I I think my 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 day job uh, I'm working with uh, like a nonprofit organization that's 
like sponsored by the government in order to help people uh, invest in their hobbies and learn, meet new people and exchange perspective. And growing up, I was, uh, uh, I think I probably uh, got in touch with them through role playing. Like they, they, they pretty much just let us use spaces to play role playing games. So they bought us role playing games and, and helped us get going. And we started like a, a local gaming club. And then I got into music, and the same organization helped us get uh, like a rehearsal space, and they uh, so cool. helped us um, like arranging shows, all of that stuff. So, so I had uh, a couple of years back, uh, I was doing, I was running a, a design company, and I felt like, yeah, this is not what I want to do anymore. And I've, I always had the idea in the back of my mind, yeah, I want to do something like give back to like if i could facilitate the same stuff for other people that that really like has been formative for my entire life that That's would be cool. a cool thing so i went uh, i went into the organization offices and i want to work here and they said we don't have a job for you and then, <laughs> then it was a couple of years and then i i found, found an opening and i kind of invested in that so i think that that and i'm also running like a martial arts school pretty much for the same reason so i think that's my giving back uh, part Uh, and the designing games is mainly just for me like like yeah that's cool ego thing i can do this and and now i finally have a book with like something i created and and of course there is the, the aspect of it too that it's it's really awesome when people get in touch with you and say, yeah, we played your game and we had a great experience or with a blood feud game as well, seeing how it affected uh, people thinking about stuff in their daily life. That's really great too. But I don't think that's the, the, the engine that drives my design at least. How about for you, Peter? Is it e- e- ego, um, very, very Peter-centric, your creativity or? I think... Well, the, I, I create games for me, uh, or games that I w- want to run. Um, so right now, I'm I'm working on a a project that is uh, aim. Or the purpose is to have them being playable by um, by people uh, with kids uh, from the age of nine and up, um, because that's what I do uh, part time. Or so. Mm-hmm. To, I uh, I work at a cultural center where um, I play role-playing games with uh, people f- from the age of 16 and up. Um, so that, there I try to kind of push in these, these indie influences, uh, try to show them. Uh, they, they, there's not only D&D, there's also right. this. Um, however, they, they always like pivot back to D&D anyway. I, 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 can't, I, I don't know. Uh, it's... It's, uh, really it's a lot hard. of gravity there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, but anyway, I I kind of broadened their perspectives a bit. So, and that's what I really really enjoy, like in, inviting new people to ex- explore the hobby, uh, and also these these younger kids. Uh, I I usually play at uh, libraries, and so uh, so they they show up, and most of them haven't played role playing games before. So, so cool. Yeah, I I, I mean when you see that they kind of get 
what the cool thing about this medium i'm i'm like yeah that's right <laughs> i know i know that kid because i was that kid yeah. i've been there yeah i got i totally get that gentlemen there is so many great things to do in sweden on a sunday night that doesn't involve listening to me run my mouth and answer my stupid questions so i want you guys to know how much i appreciate you coming on i really appreciate you having us it's uh like really great questions and insightful thoughts. So, so I appreciate it a lot. And I couldn't think of a better way to spend my Sunday evening, actually. Oh, look at you. I set you <laughs> up for that perfect compliment back and you took it. I'm proud of you. Um, <laughs> I also want to say that uh, you, the listener, you've been listening to this whole thing. This was a long episode. It was a really good episode full of a ton of meat. And I want you to know I appreciate you sticking with us. Take care. episode subscribe to tabletop talk and share it with your friends check out our content on youtube and twitch follow us on twitter and facebook and stay updated on everything coming from third floor all the links are in the show notes take care floor heads Holy shit. One of the best <laughs> segments ever on my show. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly. Yeah, no bullshit. Really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think it was really good. Thank yeah, you. I think it, it always encouraging, uh, encourages some sort of, of reflection and discussions. Yep. And I did actually did like I, I work for uh, an organization that works with peer to peer learning and like encouraging people to to learn more about their interests and, and hobbies and like uh, equaling out uh, levels of education and things like that and I was on uh, uh, a trip with the board members uh, the other week and they were like yeah this role-playing stuff that that you're working with and encouraging people to do and that our, our organization is heavily invested in uh, all of us are like 70 years old we don't know what it is uh, yeah uh, and we're on the board so could you explain it to us and i was like it's probably better if i i show you and i didn't have time to prepare or anything but i brought up blood feud and we wow. played a session with with uh, with like 70 year old hunters and uh <laughs> like dog people and and bird watchers and everything yeah. we never heard of role-playing games and they went all in on the toxic stuff and, and we had like a, a one hour debrief discussion uh, with them and it was great uh, and they were like yeah this is uh this is a great thing for us to be working with because oh wow that's uh, like, a big deal all the creativity and, and like the discussions and everything so yeah that was it, it we take the hobby for granted to a certain degree um so i've had an opportunity a few times to expose the hobby to people that really had no touchstone to work from right they didn't even know what D was never you know never connected with it on stranger things or something like that and um you know they come out of it and you forget right because yeah. we're to a certain degree we're used to the hobby you know and when you see someone brush up against it for the first time and the impact it can have it's it's pretty incredible all right, so we're going to talk about heroes. I'll bring us back. And when consequences, and what consequences that has, oh, 
Oh, hold on a second. You guys are good at this. That was perfect. Um, Likewise. Um, thank you. Perfect. Yeah, that was um, that was good. I did not. I don't know where that. that it's funny. I, I, I was like, you know, I've never asked somebody from Sweden about this, <laughs> this stuff. So I appreciate you entertaining uh, my my conversation. But I've had that conversation with people. And uh, so I've satisfied a few few inquiring minds. Can um, I go? Um, do I have time to get another cup of tea? Jesus Christ, Peter. Yeah. Of course you do. I'm, <laughs> I'm recovering from a cold as you perhaps. Oh, bless you, you don't you. know what I what, what what I sound like normally, but I'm okay. I'm still recovering right now. Take so. your time. Take your yeah, time. In fact, I'll be you right know what back. I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and capture this recording while you're to be safe. So go ahead. Go. Okay. We're good. <laughs> still here wow um well the episode is over but if you're bored why not go to patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month yeah you can just scroll down scroll down and yeah get the link it's patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible don't you want to join the other floorheads on the patreon discord anyway Thanks for sticking around. Take care.